Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Would you turn with me tonight to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we start a brand new mini-series in our study of 2 Corinthians. We've seen the God of all comfort. We've seen when our walk matches our talk. And tonight we're going to start talking about servants of a new covenant. Servants of a new covenant. And part one shows what it produces. Authentic ministry. We're going to look at that tonight. What is authentic ministry? I've always believed that if it looks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, if it walks like a duck, then it's probably a duck. And that's a pretty simple illustration, but it can be made much more complex if one has never seen a real duck. Let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. Not a duck, but something else. I was down in South Africa, and I wanted to, to tell them what a beaver was. I was my beaver dam story. <clears throat> They'd never seen a beaver. They didn't know what a beaver was in South Africa. And so I said, what's like a beaver? And somebody said, a rabbit. I said, what is your name for rabbit? One of the funniest things ever happened. And they said, uh, hussy. Well, <laughs> I thought the uh was part of the word. I didn't know. You know, some people just say uh this and uh that. But that, I thought it was part of the word. And they said, now, what do we say? And we said, uh, hussy. Well, they got so tickled, they could not stop laughing. And I, I couldn't understand why they thought it was so funny. I said, well, then I know, do you know now what a uh, hussy is? Now, what is a beaver? And they were laughing so hard. It was the first night, and it really drew us all together. And they said, well, I guess it's a a water uh, hussy. <laughs> and uh, it, it, you try to explain some, to somebody what a beaver is when they've never seen one. Same thing with a duck. If nobody ever seen a duck, how are you going to know what a duck is? It can quack all it wants, but if you've never seen one, it makes it complex. You say, wait, what are you doing tonight? Well, if we took that illustration and we put it in the context of what is, truly now, what is authentic ministry then we're going to have a very difficult time understanding what it is. You know why? Because there's so many things today in the world in which we live and was in the days of Paul that, that say that they're ministry. And, it, and it's, confu it's confusing. What is true ministry? You see, we must be willing to take something and unravel it piece by piece, uh, like an onion. Just take the peels off until we finally get to the root of it and make sure biblically it stands up as to what true ministry 
is. And sometimes what we may see, what we end, where we end up, might be a little uncomfortable in what we've been calling ministry. <clears throat> Talk about unwrapping something to see what it's really like. I got this in the email this past week, and I love it when y'all send me these things. A police officer pulls over a speeding car. The officer says, I clocked you at 80 miles per hour, sir. The driver says, gee, officer, I had it on cruise control at 60. Perhaps your radar gun needs calibrating. Not even looking up from her knitting, the wife says, now don't be silly, dear. You know this car doesn't have cruise control. <laughs> As the officer writes out the ticket, the driver looks over at his wife and growls, can't you please keep your mouth shut for once? The wife smiles demurely and says, you ought to be thankful your radar detector went off before when it did. As the officer makes out the second ticket for the illegal radar detector unit, the man glowers at his wife and says through clenched teeth, woman, can't you keep your mouth shut? The officer frowns and says, now, I notice you're not wearing your seatbelt, sir. That's an automatic $75 fine. The driver says, yeah, well, you see, officer, I had it on, but took it off when you pulled me over so that I could get my license out of my back pocket. The wife says, <laughs> now, dear, you know very well that you didn't put your seatbelt on. You never wear your seatbelt when you're driving. As the officer is writing out the third ticket, the driver looks at his wife and barks, why don't you please just shut up? The officer looks over at the woman and asks, does your husband always talk to you this way, ma'am? I love this part. Only when he's been drinking. <laughs> you know, you, you just start peeling it back and you just never know where you might end somewhere. Well, when the Spirit of God pulls us over, to examine whether or not our ministry is truly authentic, then what is it that might be discovered that we don't want anybody else to see? For instance, Paul has just told us in our last study in chapter 2 that with true ministry, it's God, not man, that opens the doors of ministry. And since God opens it, then no man can close them. What God initiates, God sustains. When Paul went down to Troas, God opened a door of ministry for him there. 2 Corinthians 2.12 says, Now when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, when he didn't find Titus at Troas, even though a door of ministry had opened for him there, he left them and went over to Macedonia to check on a brother that might be in trouble. Verse 13 says, I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. Now, Paul shows us that God is more concerned with a hurting brother than what most of us would call ministry. It wasn't an emotional whim that led Paul away from a door that had been opened to him. Christ led him to go after Titus. Now, how do we know that? You see, we know that because Paul was a man chained to Christ's chariot. Verse 14, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and manifest through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. Now, Paul, as we saw the last time, uses a powerful imagery from Roman culture to describe his submission to the Lordship of Christ, chained to the chariot. The imagery of a conquering general leading a triumphant processional through the streets of the city was the imagery he brought up. 
chained to his chariot when the general would come through the city in that processional were the generals that he had conquered and he had captured. And Paul's analogy is that a Christ is the conquering general and that believers who have yielded themselves to Christ, believers who are seeking to say yes to him, and which means they're saying no to the flesh, who are allowing him to conquer every area of their lives daily, these are those who are chained to his chariot of victory. They're always walking in victory, no matter how much pain, no matter where he leads them, because they're chained to his chariot, and he is the victor. When Paul left the door open at Troas, he knew that if Christ had opened the door uh, of ministry in Troas, nobody could close it, and when he got back, the door would be open. And if you know the history of all this, he did have a ministry at Troas later on in his life. But Paul goes on to show that there's a sweet fragrance of a person's life who allows Christ to conquer him daily wherever he goes. Verse 15 and 17 through 17 says, or verse 16 rather says, For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one an aroma from death to death, to the other an aroma from life to life. And then he asks a question, who is adequate for these things? You see, what he says is some will like it and some, that, we're, that we're conquered by Christ and, and we're walking chained to his chariot, and some won't. And he says, so, so be it. So be it. And then Paul seems to be overwhelmed by that fact. And he says, who is adequate for these things? But there's one thing for certain, that, that when a person is walking chained to his chariot, walking in the victory of Christ who has conquered him, the ministry that he has will be authentic. The only authentic ministry we see down here are by people who are learning to live at the cross, who are willing to let Christ conquer them daily in their lives. That ministry will so stand out in stark contrast against those who live for themselves, against those who, who in this text, criticize Paul. They're going to criticize us just like they criticized Paul. And by the way, do you, you know who these people are that, that I think they are? I think they're the same legalists that followed Paul everywhere he would go. They, they couldn't stomach grace. They love performance. It works in the world. It's got to work in Christianity. And they can't stomach the fact that you have to die to the flesh daily and realize the depravity of the flesh and say yes to God and let him conquer you daily in order to walk in the victory he has for you. Well, verse 17, he contrasts his ministry with theirs. And he says, for we're not like many peddling the Word of God, in other words, hawking it for our own gain, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. And now this leads us beautifully into the text today. You see, back then they didn't have chapters and verses. It was just a flow. What is it about authentic ministry, the authentic ministry of one who's conquered by Christ, chained to his chariot, what is, the, what is the marked difference to that of a flesh-minded person absorbed in some kind of performance that he's going to offer to God and ask God for his blessing? Well, the answer is, if Christ is truly living through a believer as a sweet-smelling aroma, the results will be in people's lives that have been touched by Christ people that have been transformed by the spiritual power that God puts within us as he lives through us. From the inside out, 
You see, when authentic ministry is not immediately or necessarily seen in great numbers, it can be, but not necessarily. It'll be seen in the people who have been so transformed that now the fragrance of Christ, the sweet-smelling aroma of Christ, was now flowing through their lives where before it was the aroma of death. Changed lives is is the evidence of authentic ministry. Now let's look at the authentic ministry that Paul talks about here as he eases us into walking and serving in a new covenant. There are two things I want you to see tonight. Just two, Wayne? Yeah, just two. (laughs) First of all is the proof of authentic ministry. That's the first thing, the proof of authentic ministry. Now in ancient times, the standard way a person or his ministry was accepted by a church as being authentic was by a letter of recommendation or letters of recommendation that was sent along with him from another sister church. Uh, Just like today, they had their own particular way of judging a man and judging his ministry. Paul had evidently been criticized by the false apostles in Corinth. And probably because when he went to Corinth, he didn't go there to minister. He went there to make tents. That's where he met Priscilla and Aquila probably for the Isthmian Games that was going on at that time of the year. And they probably said, you know what, this man's not valid. Because when he came to Corinth, he didn't have those letters of commendation that he needed to validate his ministry. They must have said, the man and his ministry are not valid. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some... Letters of commendation to you or from you. Now, by saying, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, he's picking up right where he left off in verse 17. Remember, it's a flow. And in verse 17, remember, he says, for we're not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Now, in doing that, he had shown a huge contrast. And the false teachers, what he's doing here, the false teachers would say, who were his critics, here he goes again, there he goes again. He makes those statements. He's trying to commend himself. We all know that his ministry is not valid. See, the word again would mean that in the critics' eyes, this had happened before. And Paul says, are we commending ourselves again? The word commend is the word sinistomy. It's the word which has the idea of to prove something or to confirm something. And Paul says, are we trying to establish ourselves again? Is that what you think we're doing? That particular word, commend, is used nine times in 2 Corinthians. And that just shows us how deep the problem really was of people who doubted Paul's validity as a minister and in his ministry. You see, ministry that is of man, and don't ever forget this, has to be approved by the standards that man comes up with with or it's not acceptable. What what does the author of Ecclesiastes say? Not much different today, is it? Nothing new under the sun. I got an email this past week from a church in another state, and they gave me, they're looking for a pastor, senior pastor, and they gave me a, a list of requirements of the pastor that they're seeking. And I thought it was interesting. I just got it, and I was studying this, and I thought, wow, here we go again. A letter of commendation. We, we have to pass the exam. We have to meet man's standards. And the first thing they said was must have a master of divinity degree or higher. 
And then they must have, and they must have, and they must have, and they must have. And I, you know, I, I, studying the scripture just sort of caught me wrong. I didn't see anywhere in the email, he must be a man chained to Christ's chariot, conquered in the areas of his flesh, and with transformed lives of human beings and believers down here as the evidence of his ministry. I didn't see that in the email. All I saw was he had to be a certain age. They wanted a more mature guy who had, who had spent years pastoring a church, over a thousand. He had to have a master's degree. All the other things that went into it. Not much different. You see a piece of paper. I don't care how well you frame it and how beautiful the frame is around it as the degree from that well-known school. And a list of well-known references that people would say, oh, he recommended you? That does not in any way qualify a person for ministry. This is what Paul says when he says, or do we need as some of some letters of commendation to you or from you? You know, you know, in the Apostle Paul's life, if you've studied him, you, you get to love him. This is nothing new. Not having the proper credentials is something he faced everywhere he would go. Most of you, or many of you, were with us when we studied through the book of Galatians. Remember in Galatians in chapter 1? He said, hey, the apostles hasn't san- they haven't sanctioned him. And he said, you know what? You're right. When I first got saved, he said, for three years, I didn't go up to Jerusalem. And he said, when I went up there, I didn't go to get a piece of paper from them. I didn't go to get a letter of recommendation from them. I just went up there to see uh, uh, Peter, Cephas. And he said, while I was there, James came over. Boy, it was good to see James. And then he says in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, and then 14 years later, God told me to go back. You see, Paul lived with this kind of, 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 of criticism in his life. He didn't have the proper degrees. He didn't have the proper letters of recommendation. He didn't have the things that man said you have to have to be a minister. We live in a different day, but I tell you, there's nothing new, like I said, under the sun. Mankind still has his own ways of approving another's ministry. You know what the biggest thing in our day is? Numbers. Has there been numbers wherever he's been? Has there been crowds? Numbers, nickels, and noses seem to be what it is today, whereas back then it was letters of recommendation. Well, Paul answers his own question. You know, when Paul asks a question, he's not waiting for them to answer it. He's writing the letter. He's going to answer it. It's rhetorical. And so he says in verse 2 of chapter 3, you are, look at this, our letter. Written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Now, Paul says it's ridiculous that you would say that we need to be certified by letters of recommendation because your transformed lives. He speaks to the church of Corinth. He said, that's our proof. That's our letter. Paul says, without God living in and through us, without our being chained to his chariot, our ministry wouldn't be valid. And listen, no matter how many letters, no matter how many uh, references, he says, we could, we could bring, it wouldn't make our ministry valid. But Paul says, if our ministry was not valid, then you would not exist as a church. You are our letter of commendation. When God is using a man, the proof is not in pieces of paper. The proof is not references from people that are well-known. It's from the changed lives of the people that God has touched and transformed because that individual was chained to his chariot, conquered by the lordship of Christ.
You know, I've heard it said, and we'll have to prove it out one day, that a man's ministry is really seen after he leaves, not while he's there. You know why that's true? Because if people's lives are changed, they're surrendered to Christ. And when he leaves, big deal, they move right on because Christ is the center of their life. You wonder tonight if, you were, if it was all the layers were peeled back, what would be seen about you that maybe you don't want somebody else to see, but yet you're in ministry of some kind? Ministry is that which God does through us to touch others. Secondly, not only the proof of authentic ministry, but the person of authentic ministry. The person who initiates and the person who sustains authentic ministry, did it in Paul, is Christ himself. Verse 3, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ. Now, you're a letter for us, but you're a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Christ living in Paul and living through Paul wrote them. He changed them and then wrote them as the letter for recommendation for Paul. Paul says, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ. Being manifested is the word manifested is the word phanero. And it's got that little double zero as you see it on the screen at the end of the word. That means made conspicuous. It's not just visible. It means something that has pushed beyond that. Everybody has seen. Everybody has taken notice. Now, it's interesting what he's doing here. Have you ever written something with invisible ink? Anybody in here ever tried invisible ink? Do you realize that you take, by the way, I checked this out on the internet. Uh I'm smart tonight. They have the kind you can wash off, but they have permanent invisible ink. I didn't know that. And I found that when I was checking it through. But invisible ink, when you write it, you can't see it. However, if you put a black light on it, it, there it is. It appears and can be easily read. And when I saw that today, you know how I am with illustrations. I said, oh, my goodness. When When authentic ministry is put up next to the black light of false ministry, you can read it, and it's as clear as a nose on your face. The contrast just stares at you. And that invisible ink is the Holy Spirit. When Paul's ministry to the Corinthian church was put in the black light of the false ministry of, of the false teachers who preached law and performance among other false teaching, the Holy Spirit in the lives of the people that he had touched, that Christ had touched through him, stood out. And you could read it. It was like invisible ink read up against the, the contrast. Christ working through Paul had touched the hearts of the Corinthians, and the Holy Spirit had written them as a letter that proved his ministry. Being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us. Now, you see, another part of authentic ministry begins to come out here. When Christ does something through an individual, there, he senses that responsibility to that person. There's a ministry to the individual who's been ministered to. It's not a one-time thing. It continues on. Cared for by us. The word is diakoneo. Diakoneo, as you see on the screen. He's talking about the service that one does for another. Now think what he just said. In other words, to the Corinthians, you want me to bring a letter of recommendation? Are you kidding me? All of the pain, all of the time spent, the letters written by Paul and his team were evidences 
of the fact that Christ had done an authentic work and that the fact that they continued to love them enough to care for them and minister to them. Now, Paul is going to begin to introduce something here that's going to make authentic ministry stand out. And he's going to begin to introduce ministering or serving under the new covenant, which is authentic ministry. And look what he says here. Being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us. Now look, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Here we come. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Now the phrase, not on tablets of stone, refers to the law. Remember when Moses came off of the mountain? I need Charlton Heston to help me out right now. And he came off the mountain, he had those big tablets of stone, and of course they've been building the golden calf at the bottom. On those tablets were the Ten Commandments. It's on Mount Sinai. The law was God's standard that was put on that stone that he required of Israel and all mankind. And here's the interesting thing, that no man can live up to. Not one man can live up to it. It's what condemns mankind. It's, it, the, Galatians 3 said it's good because it leads a man to frustration, which prepares him for the newness of the covenant of grace. The stone tablets upon which the law was written was a, was a perfect picture of the hearts of men during that time. In fact, in the promise of the new covenant in Ezekiel, that Paul and you and I, by the way, are under, we operate under the new covenant. These false teachers only operate under the old, which was written on tablets of stone, which reflected the, 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 the stone hearts of people. In Ezekiel 36, 26, it says, Moreover, Ezekiel says, I will give you a new heart, talking about the new covenant, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. You see, because of the condition of man's heart, the law only produced dead works. That's what he's saying. These people who are coming to you telling you, I'm not an apostle. I'm ministering under a new covenant. They're ministering under the old covenant, which does not in any way produce life. It could only produce a change in behavior. It couldn't change the heart. It couldn't change a man from within. It could only make his behavior change on the outside. The law could in no way change anyone's heart. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 15, 8, this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far away from me. In the new covenant, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, oh, has come to live in us. Now, you don't find that in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, he was with the people. In the new covenant, he come to live in us. That's the mark of the new covenant. He has changed us, not from without. He didn't just change our behavior. He changed everything from within. He has given us a brand new heart. Listen to the words of Peter in his epistle of 2 Peter. Verse 3, chapter 1. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. You notice what he just said? We have everything we need for life, outward life, and inward life. Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Now listen to verse 4. For by these promises. He has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become, listen carefully, partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. You know what, he's really, what he says here? God has taken out the heart of stone. 
The moment you came to Christ, the moment you bowed before him, the thing that separates everything you do from that point on, from what you did before, is that the Holy Spirit of God has come to live in you. That's the promise of the new covenant. Hebrews 8, 6 says, we're of a better covenant. It says if the old covenant had not had fault in it, then we'd be all right. But we're of a better covenant built on better promises. The difference between stone, a heart of stone, and a heart of flesh is incredible. Heart of flesh is tender. It's soft. It yields. When Christ comes to live in one's heart, that individual has just entered into the promises of the new covenant. Under the old, he's demanded something, but he cannot, he cannot meet up, measure up. But in the new, everything that was demanded in the old, Christ comes to live in us to enable us. He is the answer to the old, the covenant of grace. I'll tell you what, folks, tonight, when you Next time you sing a song about grace, next time you hear about it, you ought to just stand up and shout to the top of your lungs. Jesus, Jesus came to live in us, to do through us what has never been done before. It's not a man trying to do something hard for God. Oh, no. Authentic ministry is now possible because the Holy Spirit of God, the very Spirit of Christ, has come to live in us to minister to others through us, to make us a sweet-smelling fragrance of God as we allow him daily to, to conquer our flesh by saying yes to him. Now listen, it's no longer up to us anymore. It's now up to him. And what he does, we don't need letters of recommendation. We don't need references. We don't need some man to approve or disapprove of what we're doing. God puts his mark on what we do. And he puts his mark on the changed lives of people that he's touching through us. Christ living in us changes lives through us because we're living under the new covenant. Law or religion can change behavior, as we said. It can change your performance, but it cannot change your heart. Only Christ can change your heart. He is our reference. I was speaking at a conference in St. Louis, and the guy said, listen, I got your bio. I don't know. Somebody somewhere along the way has put together a bio for me, and he did this, and he did that, and he did that. I said, listen, listen, please don't. You're embarrassing me. Just simply say he's a, he's a person who loves Jesus and loves his word. And you might want to tell him, apart from him, you wouldn't want to bother spending the time to come hear him. And he got up, and I don't know why he did it, but he did it exactly that way, and I'm so grateful. Most of the time they won't listen to you when you do that. What other reference do we need? Well, Wayne, I heard that you, hey, if anything good ever happened in my life, folks, you go home and get on your knees and say, oh, God, I know that was you because I know Wayne. And, God, if you can use Wayne, you can use me. That's my encouragement to you tonight. If he can use me, he can use anybody in this place. Grace comes when we realize that the Spirit of God didn't come to make our flesh any better. He came to replace it. And that's when ministry begins right there. And until a man has been broken of that old fleshly-mindedness of feeling like he can do it for, for God, until he gets away from that goal-oriented life that he never has attained yet, until he backs away from that, he cannot be used of God. Authentic ministry begins when you start being a servant of the new covenant. And then it's not up to you. It's Christ empowering you and enabling you, showing himself in the lives 
that had been changed. Paul had no doubts as to the credibility of his ministry. He knew what he wasn't. And he says in verse 4, such confidence we have through Christ towards God. He said, I don't have to apologize for it. I understand some people will like it and some people won't. So be it. But I'm telling you, I don't need a letter of reference. Check my life out and check the people's lives that have been changed because of Christ living through me. That's what Paul says to him. He continues to say what we will not look at tonight, but let me just read it for you. Not that we're adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. You see the Christ life in this? Oh, my, oh man, I've been waiting forever to get to these verses. But our adequacy is from whom? Who is it from? God, who also made us as, as adequate as servants of a new covenant. Not of the letter. Oh, no, buddy, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter does what? What does the letter do? Kills. But the Spirit does what? Gives life. And there's your reference right there. There's your proof. There's your evidence right there. The life that only he can give. Let me ask you tonight, are you willing to admit what you're not apart from him? Do you realize how hard that is? Do you understand that? I've had businessmen tell me, man, this is the toughest thing I've ever had to do in my life. Because all I've ever done is pride myself in what I could do. An athlete and a successful businessman are the two most difficult people in the world for this truth to ever get through their thick head. Are you willing for God now to start peeling layers back? And are you willing to just look at what he's going to show you, what's really behind what most people call ministry? If you are, then you're about to enter the most exciting journey of your life, I promise you. The best is yet ahead of you. You know, this truth, the truth is not taught. It's caught. I've been telling you that. The night it, it was revealed in my heart, 20-some years ago, sitting in a service, and a man was preaching. And all of a sudden, I just started crying. I couldn't stop crying. I cried, and I thought, what in the world is wrong with me? I'm not old enough to be in midlife crisis. What's going on? And I cried, and I cried, and I cried. I went home, and I cried, and I cried. And Dinah said, what's wrong with you? I said, I don't know. And for three days, I thought I was going to dehydrate when God showed me that everything I had ever done and called ministry, if you peeled it back, was for one reason, Wayne. And when God showed me that and showed me it didn't have to be the sin of adultery, it didn't have to be the, the big bad five, one of the most heinous sins in God's eyes is when a person thinks for a second that he can do anything for God other than reflect him in his life. That's sin to the highest degree. And until that's dealt with, authentic ministry will never occur. Oh, we can get numbers and we can get noses and we can get all the other stuff, nickels. But true ministry will only happen when a person is conquered by the Lordship of Christ chain to his chariot, a sweet-smelling fragrance of a broken man, letting Jesus be Jesus in and through him, is what qualifies authentic ministry. I want to ask you a question tonight. Would you pray for me that as we go down these years together, I'll pray for you that authentic ministry will come out of here. Not what man calls it. Not that which is approved by the committee. 
but that in which God says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what it's all about. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org. 